On this episode of Karishma Connect, I got chatting with Soham Thakkar, founder of Gamergy, which is an esports tournament platform in India that is providing gamers of today a whole lot of opportunities to explore and pursue their passions. A while ago, I was writing for Digital Studio. I was the editor there, and I remember writing about gaming and esports as a booming field with so many different diversities of audiences jumping onto the trend. Today, it's become a phenomena to look out for, and perhaps even a future career opportunity for many. And he tells me more about that growth. He tells me about how he was a change maker in that environment by stepping into it quite early. His background, his passion towards gaming, and also why gamers need to prioritize health concerns as well to make sure that they are able to function in the long run. Go check out the episode. It's a very holistic conversation. Got some amazing insights in there. And until the next one, stay tuned for more such episodes only on Karishma Connect every Sunday and Thursday. Thank you so much, Soham, for joining me on Karishma Connect this morning. It's a pleasure to have you, and I look forward to getting to know all about Gamergy and how you started. It's my pleasure, Karishma, and thank you so much for having me here. Most welcome. Now, how I start on the show is uh, by talking about the very thing that brought you here, which is your journey. So, tell me about your journey so far in your own words. How's it been? How did you arrive where you are, and what's so special about it? Uh, sure. So let me just rewind back a few years. Uh, just a quick background. I, I was a computer engineer in the US for, I don't know, probably 12, 13 years and working as a programmer and a developer after I finished my graduation. Uh, I don't know, one fine day, a bug stuck me and decided to pack my bags, come to India. My family still lives back in the States, uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but uh, after I moved here, I wanted to take a break from tech. Uh, Started literally selling tacos on the streets of Ahmedabad on a food truck. That's how I started or started, began my entrepreneurial journey. Hmm. Uh, fortunately, that food truck grew into 13 restaurants spread across the state over the course of two and a half years. Got successfully acquired in 2015. Uh, so yeah, uh, was fortunate to have a first exit. Uh, post that, uh, decided to, to come back into the tech space, started a service marketplace platform. Unfortunately, did not see the light of the day with that. Uh, ran it for a couple of years until I decided to let it go. Uh, and then, uh, you know, throughout the journey, even during my college days, I've always been a gamer and an average gamer at it. You know, you can compare me with anyone that you literally see in cafe shops or literally in the comforts of their bedrooms or in college campuses gaming. Yeah. So I was one of them. And uh, like like any other gamer, always aspired to uh, you know kind of make something out of uh, myself in the space. Obviously, the passion about it was always there. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, one one big gap that existed, uh, so to say, was what can I gain out of it? You know, at, at that point of time, obviously, uh, the path to becoming a pro gamer was still very vague, and especially in a country like India, non-existent. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, you know rewinding back my journey or kind of looking back at it i spent hours and hours doing something which i'm passionate about but not gain anything out of it mm. so uh, besides that uh, there are obviously millions and millions of gamers like myself who fall in that semi-pro amateur space of gaming and there can be a platform where they could compete and uh, get rewarded for whatever uh, skills they have or ideally the skill sets that they possess and also give them a chance to kind of elevate their gaming skills and eventually go to the path to pro like any other conventional sports, for example, if you look at football or cricket or whatever sport, there's always a path that is defined, right? You start 
playing literally in your building and then obviously it moves on to playing for just school or your college and then the state and hopefully reach the, the pros yeah. so that was non-existent the esports or the gaming space so a platform was a good first step to start uh, your journey into that uh, and that's how we uh, gamerji was conceptualized uh, the first version we along with my cto we built it ourselves being programmers kind of helped saved us a few bucks there as well uh, and uh, you know with that uh, we launched the platform in in july 2019 is when we launched the platform uh, and uh, yeah, that that uh, took part that we are still five years and counting into the industry. But yeah, that was my journey leading up to it. But you've you've expanded pretty quickly, I hear, right? Because you're also in the Middle East and you're also in India. How did that happen? How did you manage to crack that in such a little time? I, I think time also worked, right? Because that was the time when you started that gaming actually picked up for what it is. All right. Absolutely, and and uh, kind of uh, I won't call it fortunes within a favor because I don't consider COVID as a part of our fortune, but definitely it, it did shape uh, the industry pretty well. Uh, once, which was always considered to be a subset of the media or the entertainment industry, now is looked upon as the industry by itself. So obviously, there is a lot that has evolved in the last five years in the space. Uh, and then, uh, fortunately for us, we were we just had launched the platform when COVID hit. We just had stabilized the platform. And uh, talking about numbers, we in, in March 2020, we were probably catering to about 80,000, 90,000 users cumulatively. Mm. Uh, that number to a million in three months. Mm. So that was something that obviously gave us the huge boost. And and uh, a lot of, so to say, the investment eyes or the venture capital eyes started looking in this direction. Mm. So we were fortunate enough to raise our seed round of capital towards November 2020. Mm. Uh, and that, see that, that carried on, that gave us also the momentum that we initially needed for the company to go further. Uh, we ran the, we were only India centric till about the uh, uh, late part of 22. So we obviously set our product market fit in the region uh, where we reached uh, more than six, six and a half million people playing now on the platform. And uh, Middle East started to look as a very lucrative market, uh, especially for two purposes. One, obviously, the initiatives that respective, uh, so to say, authorized, authorized bodies were taking in the space, whether you look at Saudi, whether you look at UAE, uh, you know, the kind of uh, uh, investment slash uh, initiatives that are taken by uh, the Saudi Esports Federation or the or the, or the Dubai Federation, you yeah. know, also look at uh, the space. It also gave us that uh, kind of uh, an opportunity uh, to launch our platform there. Obviously, gamers, and fortunately for us, the games are very similar as they are played across the globe. Whether you look at the likes of FIFA, or PUBG Mobile, or Call of Duty, these these names are popular all across the world. So that gave you know that makes it easier for us to expand. Uh, and then uh, Middle East uh, seemed to be a good market, especially from a, uh, an ARPU standpoint or average revenue per user standpoint as well, because uh, it's obviously a better paying market than compared to India, where India provides a lot of volume. Yeah. So we started capitalizing on the volume that we had generated from India and started to cater to tournaments outside, or especially in, in the Middle East, where there were gamers, but the quantum did not exist. So we started to capitalize on the quantum we had to provide the users there to, to participate in tournaments, but competition already existed rather yeah. than starting so that kind of uh, uh, you know made some business sense, and that's how we started launching in in Middle East. As of today, we we are operational across UAE, Saudi, okay, Qatar. These are the four countries that we are live uh, against. And then uh, with that, uh, we we also are looking to expand 
the Southeast Asia market, ideally Philippines and Indonesia as, as well as we speak. We're still working on the licensing in, in, in those regions. But uh, hopefully by by before the end of the year, we should be launching in those states very well. Lovely. And then how would you assess the difference that you're, you as a company are making in the gaming space for each of these regions? And also to add to that, what is different in terms of how developed or undeveloped is the gaming scene across these different places? What's peculiar about them? Uh, well, each each region works very differently from a awareness or acceptability standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gamergy is a platform. What we are focused on is to create uh, a better user experience, no doubt about it. But along with that, also work on uh, technological tools which automatize esports or ideally matchmaking AIs, uh, conduction of the tournaments, which ideally was is also managed manually by a lot of different competitors of ours. We mm-hmm. started working on automatizing those tools. Okay. Whether it be through, whether it be through, uh, you know, image processing, whether it be through leveling, uh, automated level matching for digital gamers. So we started working on the technological assets, mm. and that's how it helped us scale faster. You mm. know, ideally, in multiple tournaments simultaneously, uh, having human powers back that was not going to be scalable. So obviously, mm. starting with technological tools made it possible. So that also kind of sets us apart. And with that, uh, the way uh, the market scenario in different regions works very differently. For example, India still in its very early stages. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, the, one, there's a lack of governing body. Second, there is always a volatility of the rules, which which involve or kind of uh, you know merge real money with esports. So there's a lot of ambiguity there. Uh, and whereas when you look at other regions like the Middle East, that part is taken care of. But the awareness part is still building. Mm. The acceptance is much faster mm. uh, in the least, which helps us grow faster in those regions. Mm. And then we talk about Southeast Asia, like I mentioned. Uh, it's it's a developed market. I mean, Southeast Asia esports has been there even before it was probably mm. existent in Europe. Yeah. Right After the US, probably Southeast Asia grew faster. Mm. The likes of or the Singapore's and obviously Indonesia, Philippines, etc. They started mm. growing and accepting it much faster. So that is obviously a no-brainer market. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is going to be competitive as well, but definitely an easier acceptance of the market. So um, yes, each each territory works individually, uh, but uh, we keep focusing on what our core strengths are, which is tech and and uh, uh, the traction that we have gained so far to provide instantaneous tournaments or the quantum of tournaments, and that is something which we want to leverage upon. Tell me one tip that you would give to people who are looking to streamline user experience across their platform what do you think is most important the most important thing is asking your users or speaking with them right a lot of founders or entrepreneurs make that mistake especially when you are in an online only kind of a business you make a big mistake of assuming certain things mm. right that this is pretty self-explanatory especially the tech guys and me being one of them you know, we figure that, okay, this is this is something which is much easy for, it is very easy. I mean, if I can do it, anyone can do it. That's not the case. If you want to understand the user mindset. Even till date, I make it a point to at least speak with about 50 to 60 of my users randomly on a weekly basis. I literally call 10 people every day. Obviously, you know, as, as I'm speaking from the customer care or the feedback department and I speak with them, that helps me understand what they are looking for or where they are struggling or if they are struggling. And that's how we keep evolving the user experience, you know, and that obviously should be, uh, you know, a rule of thumb for any tech entrepreneur. And would you say that is the hope that humans have 
at the forefront of technology today that that aspect do you think technology will be able to replace that human touch of actually picking up the phone and you know talking to a consumer and getting that user experience insight uh well again uh, it can be divided between age groups or generations right mm-hmm. i mean if you're talking about uh, the the millennial generation they are a mixed breed you know, mm-hmm. there are some people who would love to pick up the phone and uh, you know touch and feel and when they're on the other side you're the gen z's or now even gen alphas who don't prefer that on mm-hmm. the other side right mm-hmm. they prefer to do it themselves they prefer to rather uh, figure it out themselves rather than having a human touch to it Yeah. So obviously, and again, you know, this is not generalized statement. It can be, it can vary from region to region or individual to individual. But uh, that is kind of the trend, and and uh, uh, you know, the way the technological world has become become, uh, you know, and we ourselves are so dependent upon it that it has definitely changed uh, the user behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, online is the way to go with the increasing, uh, so to say. Uh, human to human pricing yeah. whether it be real whether it be offline whether it be events you know those things are not not cheap anymore yeah. uh, humans are more expensive than technology let's face it, let's face it so uh, it's better off uh, you know from a business standpoint to rely on technology interesting and then i'm going to go back to that time when you started that business of tacos and then got got acquired and all of that did you know about acquisition back then did you know about how it's going to turn out and what were some of your lessons on funding <laughs> i had no idea how it operated <laughs> no idea right um, i mean uh, obviously a lot of mistakes made uh, i mean i can't count them on my fingertips to be very honest uh, you know starting from you know especially when i moved to india i had no idea about how to even set up a company here mm-hmm. well the first mistake so to say what i made i started a partnership organization now little did i know that a partnership organization can never receive external funding it has to be a, a private limited organization which can issue shares right yeah. it cannot be a couple of friends getting together and saying like okay you take 50% i take 50% let's start something right it does not work as simple yeah. so obviously a lot of learnings went into that um, did not even know how to value a business mm very honest though i got acquired i did not know how to value it you know sometimes i i ponder whether i could have literally fetched more money for it if i had known how to value the business so yeah a lot of lot of learnings go into the play and especially during your first venture uh, you know from from getting the licenses to literally you know submitting your books of account or filing taxes i had no idea about it i come i came from one uh, a developed country where everything was so organized second obviously came from a tech background which had nothing to do with business literally writing line of code and codes did not teach me anything more than actually making products which i'm proud of but again there's more to the world than that yeah. and then uh, obviously uh, you know how the venture capital world or the investment world or the valuation world operated or what kind of uh, structures even even it even till gamergy i did not know what uh, a preferential share versus a equity share the differences were i literally had to read through everything to understand that's that's a learning which you need to keep keep up with uh, you know you, i mean yes there are always some brilliant people out there to help you but uh, there has to be some basic knowledge that needs to be fed in but for someone who doesn't have an idea about these things even today is trying to start out what do you advise them to first 
where do you advise them to first scratch for gold? Uh, well, one thing is, uh, I, re I realize that always good to have mentors. There are so many people out there uh, who are more than willing to uh, advise, mentor, uh, especially I'm talking about industry veterans, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and one thing is for sure, we don't know everything. You know, it's first, the, the first step is to accept the fact that you don't know everything, mm -hmm. right? A lot of founders make that mistake by saying that I know everything uh, and I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, and, you know, by the time they realize that it's too late, uh, right? So it's better to, to have the right set of mentors, right set of advisors. And literally, I mean, I have my advisory board and not one of them I knew beforehand. I literally went on to LinkedIn, literally cold messaged a few people saying that, hey, I need some advice. I need some mentorship and would love to at least jump on an introductory call. And then the rest follow. Right. And now I have a, a great uh, three people mentorship team who uh, work with me for any small or little things that I might not be aware of, mm -hmm. whether it be gaming, whether it be non-gaming, they actually guide me in a lot of things. So that, that is one thing that I would, I would definitely suggest early time founders to have good mentors uh, and, uh, you know, read, I mean, you know, but a good old reading never hurts. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, Even uh, today. You know, yeah, there is enough knowledge floating out there and it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, so. And then what would you say about entrepreneurship? How is that? How has your perception about entrepreneurship evolved over the years? Well, like any other guy in the mid-20s, I, I figured uh, when I started that being your own boss is the best thing in the world. <laughs> True. Right? I, mean, I, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't want to depend... But then you also have to understand uh, the fact that it's it's not a jolly ride. Uh, you know, I mean, tomorrow, if anything happens in your office, it is your responsibility versus when you're working as an employee, you know, you don't have to worry about whether a, a PC is broken or the AC mm -hmm. is not working. When mm -hmm. you start off, you actually have to worry about all of those, yeah. right? And, and, uh, and obviously, you are always answerable to your, either it be your customers Either it be your investor, either either it be yourself. To be very honest, right? So, uh, you know, it's 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 great. I mean, I personally love it, but uh, you know, it's it's not as easy as just writing CEO on your business card. Yeah. Right. You. And to till date, I I don't I am no I'm not a CEO of my company. So I founded it. I don't have a CEO. I am an acting CEO, but I am not a CEO. I have not earned that position yet. So mm. be very clear of, of the fact that just because you founded a company does not automatically make you a CEO who knows everything. CEO is an designation that comes with experience, does not come with just founding a company, right? So it is it is something where, uh, you know, it's it's a good challenge to have, but be prepared. Mm. That's an interesting point. You said that there's also a difference between, and that difference is very big between a founder, because I've seen many founders call themselves a CEO, they may or may not be prepared for it. But that difference of experience that you mentioned, that is very interesting. I'm going to get into the gaming industry right now and tell me what do you think is the future of it? Currently, of course, it's on the boom. We are seeing, I'm also seeing a wide range of female gamers come into the industry, a lot of different age groups as well. What do you think is the future with all of this going on? You know, the future is definitely bright, but still in a stage of ambiguity. Mm. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll definitely shape up 
to be something which can be treated as a parallel medium of entertainment, like either conventional sports or or comparable to even literally the entertainment space in movies, right? It's that the content consuming or the level of engagement and also obviously the level of participation is on a rise as we speak. So definitely the future is very bright. Uh, when it comes to the company or the corporate space, uh, that is still, uh, you know, so to say, a right mode that the industry is trying to figure out. Mm. You know, whether whether publishing games is the right way to go or creating content or even becoming yourself as a gamer or getting involved in, in uh, you know, developing motion graphics or animation. So there are a lot of parallel industries that work into gaming. And all of them are... Uh, you know, so to say, the pillars of building the stepping stone to the industry being successful. Right? So it is definitely on a rise, and, and especially in, in, in regions like Mina, for example, where there's a lot of support mm. uh, from authorities, uh, makes it uh, much more uh, lucrative of a market uh, mm. compared to uh, areas where, uh, you know, you're literally fighting for, with, with, the, with the authorities for taxation laws. Right? Yeah. So it, it definitely uh, is... is is uh, on a rise in a few regions. Some regions will catch up, like any other new new industry goes through those challenges. But the future is bright. And uh, just my two cents on people who are willing to enter the industry, yes. gaming does not mean just playing games. Like mm. what I mentioned, a lot of other parallel careers that go with it, mm. right? So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, raise yourself is definitely something which is going to create a good future. And do you have something to say for gamers specifically to keep in mind when the start the ones who are just starting out? Well, uh, see, uh, gaming is definitely is it's it'll require time. It'll require you to put in efforts. Like what you do, if you want to become a football star, it does not happen overnight. You know, mm-hmm. it is it is it requires skills. It requires hard work. It requires practice. And if you really want to become a pro gamer. You know, you are actually. If, if I wish I was in my early teens, you yes. know, this is a good good time to to pursue it as as a, as a, a passion slash career, right? Because uh, it it is now getting accepted, and there is a lot of so to say support that is flowing into it. Uh, and uh, with that being said, uh, you know, if you start off as gaming and you're passionate about it, always keep the parallel career options in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can you can you can be good at streaming content along with becoming a game, or you can be good at programming or developing animation or motion graphics along with becoming a game, mm-hmm. right? So you are at least associated with the industry. And there's always a plan B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I want to ask that because the other aspect of gaming is also two things that come to my mind. One is the health aspect of it, right? We're sitting on a computer, we're sitting with digital technology all day long and playing. What's that going to impact on the health factor, which is again a concern. And the second aspect that comes to my mind is purely technical, which is the security aspect. How do you think these two need to be addressed by, you know, be it by gamers or by companies to kind of secure that future in a way that's not detrimental to the overall well-being of communities and societies. No, absolutely. And there has to be checks and balances in anything, right? Whether, um, and I keep going back to making a comparison with conventional sports, but there always has to be checks and balances. Mm. I went up a few decades ago, a term concussion did not exist. Mm. But it was a huge thing when it came to sports. 
right? Uh, people do not realize, especially contact sports. If you look at like the likes of American football or the likes of rugby or even wrestling, uh, it did not exist. So every, every uh, so to say, industry needs to have its own checks and balances. Mm. And I completely agree with you in a fact that you can't spend 16 or 24 hours gaming. Yeah. You know, it's just not healthy. Yeah. And a lot of initiatives have been taken by the games themselves to restrict the number of hours of play. Uh, okay. For example, uh, you know, PUBG Mobile has restricted it to four hours, if I'm not wrong. Four hours, you can't game for more than four hours a day uh, from a single device. Uh, there are always are workarounds about it, but that is what at least the games are trying. Uh, and also from a, a security standpoint, uh, I mean, data security stays at the crucial peak. Where it's, it's for generally in technology. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not only thing, but generally in technology, data security is something which becomes very crucial. Yeah. And 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 uh, unfortunately, companies themselves cannot, but uh, the organizations or the authorized bodies can take uh, appropriate actions to make sure that, like for example, how the GDPR norms are in 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 Europe, mm -hmm. uh, norms like these need to be set very clearly by the authorities to make sure that. Uh, the security or so to say the data privacy is also something which is very closely followed. Going back to you coming back, I'm really curious to know throughout the throughout the episode, what made you come back from a country that people fascinate about or like fantasize about and then come back to India? And I'm asking you this in a very uh, you know, personal space because I've had several guests on Karishma Connect who have taken a similar decision, similar route. And they've always had, of course, they have always credited the market for it. But I want to know, what do you think about it? What made you shift back? Well, two things that made me shift back. One was I wanted to enter the entrepreneurial space and I did not come from wealth. Mm. Right? Setting up uh, a business in the US was cost intensive. To be very honest, in a developed country, everything yeah. is expensive. Right, I did not come from capital. Uh, so that and also the pace at which India was growing at the moment, mm -hmm. and it still is. Right, it's it's it provided a perfect back back backbone to start my entrepreneurship. You know, uh, and obviously team building as well as gathering resources was much easier and cost effective in India mm -hmm. as compared to it in the US. Mm -hmm. Right, so that is one thing that motivated me, and I always I and. Personally, I wanted to do something a little more, uh, so to say, out of the box, mm. to be very honest, very mm. cliche, but out of the box. And a developed country was not the right platform to do it. Because oh. your margin of error stays very negligible because the costs are so high. Mm. You know, your margin of error stays very negligible. Which mm. India, like I said, you know, I've had two failed ventures. One of them exited, when one successful exit, you know, the fourth one I'm still on. Uh, so it's, it, India provides that room for error. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, I did not end up literally selling my house to just start a business. Yeah. So that was one thing that motivated me. Other than that, uh, you know, I did not move for any personal reasons. So I'm an Indian by origin, but I did not, I don't have any family here. Even till date, I don't have any. That's why I was curious no because you're my <laughs> Yeah, I mean, nobody lives here. And now, obviously, things are different. But when I moved, I did not have a single soul that I knew, in in except for some very old friends, which I knew from probably early school days. 
who obviously changed over course of time, but I did not know a single. So soul. you were so, brought up in US and then you came here. I, I was I was born here. I was here till my school, okay. uh, middle school, and my family uh, shifted to the US and then the rest of the life was there. Uh, and then uh, obviously then I moved back on my own. Uh, like I said, it's a conversation for another day where I had to face a lot of family challenges and a lot of people mentioning and obviously, at that point of time, I was I was uh, engaged, and my wife now, at that time, to be did not want me to go. A lot of lot of things that, I, but now obviously uh, things are different. Uh, you know, I proved myself that I belong here, and I'm happy at it. Uh, and uh, it's definitely a great place to start. You know, it provides with that startup friendly. I'm not talking from a legal perspective. But at least from an infrastructure perspective, starting startup friendly infrastructure. You know, you can get people uh, who are talented at an affordable cost. Real estate is cheap, let's be honest, comparatively. Very yeah, true. And, and uh, more than anything, it's a large market to serve. Yeah. Your product market fit, it's a perfect place to, to test your product market fit. I mean, I couldn't have found a better place to start Gamergy than India. Because it is a perfect, I, where, where where else will I get a product market fit of a few million people yeah. to start, yeah. right? <laughs> right? So that is that is where India seemed to be the perfect place. But there are culture shocks that happen as well. <laughs> Don't you think so? Yeah, but then then that, that, that is anywhere in the world, right? I mean, I you, you pick one from anywhere to anywhere, there are always going to be cultural shocks. And and it's, it's upon an individual to either, you know, embrace it or kind of stay in the shock world forever and and uh, you know yes there were initial cultural shocks like you know a lot of things were unregulated like getting a license or get setting up a company was a nightmare but then you know though, you start to love those challenges yes that's exactly what i was going to come to yeah that once you embrace it i think it it becomes uh, it embraces you i think it just kind of yeah. You start, you start, uh, and and uh, the popular Indian term jugad kind of. Yes. <laughs> it gets into the blood. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much for sharing your journey with me. It's been a pleasure. It's rather unique. When I entered the episode, I didn't know what would unfold, but it's uh, extremely interesting. Thank you so much, Soham. It's my pleasure, Karishma, and uh, thank you so much for having me here.